0: i
1: Alright, everybody, good morning. Good to see you. Special welcome if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. If you'd like to stand with us. This first song, we've played it a while ago, but it's it might as well be new. Um, today in our scripture in Luke, we're gonna see we're gonna read and see Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of his most famous parables. And we read a parable like that, and we can come away thinking this is what I need to do now. And that's something that we need to focus on, absolutely. Um, loving our neighbor, but there's a bigger thing that Jesus is trying to accomplish in this parable, and that's taking this, uh, this scribe, this lawyer that he's talking to, and he's getting his, our, his eyes off of himself, and he's, that's what he's trying to do. So we're not going to sing a song right now about doing and loving the world. That's good, and there's a place for that, but right now, we're going to sing a song about seeing our God, and so Father, help us to do that very thing by your grace bring us to a sight of you that we're glad to see self go just for the surpassing worth of beholding our God and that's our lone thing that we ask for today and not just in the song that we sing now may it be a means to accomplish that but help us to lock eyes and mind and heart and soul with Christ, and this happens by your grace, and we pray for that grace here and now. It's for your wonderful name. Amen.
0: To the Lord, who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Of sinful man, God eternal, humble to the grave. Jesus Savior, risen now to save. You will reign forever. You.
2: Amen. What a wonderful way to begin our first day of the week together uh, before the throne of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat if you like, Uh, and as we do that, um, hopefully everybody's doing well. Uh, Anybody get a chance to enjoy the Canfield Fair uh, this week? Some of you guys? Okay, I, I almost always have to go and look at old tractors, which is a shock, I'm sure, for you guys. Uh, but we also had to get um, the, the usual giro and the Molnar's um, roll. And then we had to look at the horses. And then uh, finally, uh, we had to look at the goats. So, you know, that's the fair. The one thing I like about it is that it's been going on since the 1840s, I think. Uh, just a county fair and all the things that involve that kind of a way of life that surrounds uh, the agricultural aspect of, um, of, of Ohio. And for me, it's a perennial favorite. And I was able to go up there. Uh, my wife is actually down in uh, Illinois coming back this morning. Uh, she had, uh, we both had an, a niece uh, who gave birth to a, what is it when, you, when your niece gives birth to a niece? Great niece, okay, so we have a great niece. And my niece showed a picture just about a week and a half ago she was born. And I guess I should have put it up there, but you know, I'm that guy. Um, So she's so beautiful and Mandy said, I gotta get down there and I was hoping to get down there, but um, had a funeral on Friday and it just didn't work out. Uh, So um, she went down there and traffic and construction and she called me as she got through all that and said, I'm, I'm just about done with traveling but then the next picture i get is of her holding the baby again you have to imagine it in your mind's eye and i'm like it was all worth it wasn't it and she said yes so um she's coming back and i'm looking forward to having her back in the house but you know the real surprise is um the fact that she has left and we have grown as a family unit at least miam has been staying this week and Stephen's been there and usually when she comes back the house is a wreck but we've learned uh, that we need to step up our game and so I was shocked when all three myself and my two kids stepped up and cleaned the house and she's coming back and she's going to say wow or she's going to say you missed something on the bathroom mirror. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm expecting her to at least have this sense of they have finally clued in to what it is that I've been telling them for years. And as we're going through the book of Luke, Jesus is starting off this ministry uh, on his way to Jerusalem that is very powerful. Um, and it is it is, kind of sets the template for what the church is supposed to do. And one of the key things that's the responsibility of the church is to reach out to people that are lost and broken and hurting. But the other thing that we have to do is unlearn bad habits, bad rituals, bad routines, so that whenever we just wake up, we default to those things that are the way of life that Jesus calls us to live. So that's kind of the introduction to what we're going to look at today. Um, The second sidebar about that is I was planning on doing just one sermon on our passage in Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. But as I was chewing on it, I discovered that there's really two sermons in here that we've got to talk about. So we're doing part one and part two next week. So if you can bear with me in that regard, that'd be wonderful. But for right now, uh, I'd like to find out if there is along that vein, if there's anyone that we can pray for, anybody that has a hurt that they brought into this space that we can lift up before the Lord, and and if there's some way that we can help out, we want to do that. Um, uh, I do want to mention that Wes was supposed to be up here today, but um, Brian informed me that Wes uh, spent the evening in the emergency room with his son, um, who had a um, broken elbow. So that doesn't sound fun at all. But my guess is um, uh, he's doing okay. I haven't heard anything more about that. Uh, So pray for Wes and Lori and for Graham, their son. And uh, I mentioned I did a funeral on Friday. Uh, It was for uh, a a gal that's kind of loosely connected to the church. Uh, Her name is uh, Gail Keller, and uh, I want to lift uh, Gail's family up. And some of you may have seen that Fred Baker, uh, who used to attend here, also passed away last week. And uh, we wanna keep um, uh, Fred uh, Jr. and and Bernat uh, lifted up in our prayers as well as they grieve. And uh, keep uh, Gail Hill uh, lifted up as Gail is going through chemotherapy. And um, I know a lot of people have been trying to encourage her that way and in other ways, and I think that's awesome. but uh, I'd like to know if there's anything right now that, that's on your heart that we can bring before the Lord. Anybody have anything? Robin? Yeah, I can um, bring my property to the Lord. Okay. Because um, I'm having difficulty with my brother and my sister. Okay. But, um, just, it's weighing really heavy. Okay. Um, Okay, so some reconciliation and resolution with handling your father's estate. So pray for Robin in that regard. Uh, Diane? Um, back to Gail. Yeah. She's got the breast cancer, she's had two treatments, she's doing pretty good, she's doing a lot. Yeah. Uh, they also found that it's a size to the lung. Okay. So we wanna really keep that in our prayers too, that can be taken with that. Right, okay, so. Keep Gail. He'll lift it up. It has metastasized to her lungs, but hopefully the chemo can can address that. That's so why we pray for the Lord's miracle. Yeah, Melissa? My friend Val from Pittsburgh, her, she's attended here whenever she's busy, but her grandma had a really bad fall. and broke like, Both of her legs, her neck. Oh, my goodness. In her 80s. Okay. And- Okay. So Melissa's friend Val from Pittsburgh, who I've you know I've met a few times here. Yeah. Um, so pray for her grandmother. Uh, fell and broke several bones and is recovering. Uh, so keep her lifted up. What's her first name? Oh, Beverly. Beverly. Okay. Rich. I
1: have a friend, Rod. who's kind of uh, Rod, he's kind of in a dark place. He's got threatening suicide. And okay. All right. By
2: this. All right, keep uh, Rob lifted up, a uh, friend of Rich's who's uh, wrestling with uh, suicidal, uh, they call it suicidal ideation, um, but that basically means uh, you're preoccupied with, with things in a very dark way, so we want to pray against that, okay? And anyone else that you know that is dealing with that, um, and you're struggling with knowing what to do, please let us know uh, so that we can help resource it, because there is Plenty available to help out to help you through that. Any others? Okay. Okay. Um, did you want to mention something on there, Joe Carroll? Okay. All right. We we talked about that. Um, so uh, pray um, uh, for some people overcoming. COVID, and I don't know if any of you are aware of anyone that's dealing with that, but that's been, been really interesting, to say the least. If not, we're going to go ahead and, and lift these things up before the Lord, okay? Our Father, we are grateful that as we gather in this room, there is a hope that is spiritually defined through your word that becomes very tangible when we face the challenges of life, that... We need that sustaining power that says we can get through this. And I pray especially for those that we have mentioned that are struggling with health concerns like Gail Hill who need your healing touch every day. And we just lift her up trusting, Father, that as we encourage her through cards and phone calls and just her morale, we pray that you would also Be that great physician that she needs in this moment. We pray for Rob, who's struggling with uh, suicidal ideation, that he would take those thoughts and be able to put them aside and to rally around thoughts that are more beneficial for his own well-being and the people around him. And may they ultimately find their source from you and in you. We pray, Father, for Robin and for the struggles she's having with her siblings regarding the estate of her, her father. And we know, Lord, that this is one of those things that can create division for years. And we pray that that doesn't happen, that there could be unity of mind and heart. We ask, Lord, that as we've lifted up these prayer concerns, um, we want to keep in mind uh, Beverly as well as she recovers in the hospital from her fall. We thank you, Father, that as we take the challenges of the moment, that your grace is in abundant supply to provide for every kind of need that we have. And we gather today in worship because we know that uh, in our spirit that you are the source for everything that occurs in life that we are unable to overcome And for everything in life that is a source of blessing, we know that it comes from you. And there's just so much that defines who we are and how we live that is embedded in our understanding of you, Lord Jesus. And beyond that, the strengthening of our spirit through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we want to gather, trusting in all of these things, getting clarity for our own personal challenges. And as we surrender our hearts and our minds to you, we pray that your word would speak to us today as you uh, call us to be a unique people with new habits and new ways of thinking and new ways of defaulting our behavior towards the needs that you have, have have shown us. And so we trust you, Father, in that way, and we pray that you calibrate our hearts and our minds as we worship and as we attend to these things that are so important to you and so life-giving to the people around us. So as we do that, Father, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be picking up around verse 25 of, uh, of that. And it is, uh, it is a critical moment in um, the teachings of Jesus because he has surrounding him, uh, individuals that are basically trying to call him out on what he's doing because he's disrupting the religious establishment, he's confusing the people that are just the normal church-going people of the day, and, and he's creating a, a sense of, uh, of the kingdom that really is sort of foreign to their way of thinking. And as he's doing all of those things, um, he is ministering to and 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 teaching uh, just the general populace so that their understanding of the life they're called to live in the kingdom becomes reflective of the qualities that um, that, that that he's bringing to bear here. So if that if that if that maybe sets it up a little bit, um, I'll clarify as we go through uh, what uh, what Luke describes in chapter ten. So here we go. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable actually has a backstory. before he describes the three players in the parable and the guy that uh, is, is being helped by one of them. There's something going on behind the story. It's sort of the story behind the story that, that uh, Jesus um, uh, is prompted to, to offer this parable. So here's that story that we're going to look at today. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you may look at that and say, well, that's a valid question. And there's no problem with asking that question, I don't think. But what's embedded in this text is a lot of information that you can see on the surface and some that's in the grammar. Um, But it but, but, but I want to just look at it through the lens of Luke. The religious teachers are trying to basically disarm the effect that Jesus is having on the populace. And now one of them is called to test them. And as he's testing them, um, that word test is used once before in the storyline of Luke. And it's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Do you remember a testing happening uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Anybody? There's a, there, there's a um, free, uh, what shall we say, a free cup of coffee awaiting anyone who can answer this question first. Yes. Yes. I, you're new here. I'm Leonard, by the way. You are Jerry. Jerry. You have a free cup of coffee coming, and uh, and <laughs> we're not we're we're really not going to talk about the backstory behind the coffee, but I appreciate that. So Jerry, see me after church, okay? Um, but Jesus was tested in the wilderness, and in that testing, the devil was essentially trying to trip him up. And in effect, this guy who's a teacher of the law, who's supposed to be a respected person in the eyes of the uh, the community, is in the same spirit coming after Jesus. And so he asks a question. And this really is kind of the gist of the whole message. The kind of question that he asks is a question that has more to do with his own agenda than it has to do with seeking God with sincerity, the question is this: What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I I like the way um, A- Amy Jill Levine um, describes this in her commentary on the parables. She says, by testing Jesus, the lawyer takes the devil's role, for it was Satan who had tested Jesus uh, in the wilderness, and Jesus shuts the devil up by telling him, "Do not put the Lord your God to the test." And Essentially, she's saying I'm looking back on the Book of Luke, and I'm seeing this pattern here. And if a if a Bible scholar like her, who's world class, is pointing this out, it's something to take note of, because in the um, in, in in the question, there is a, another another thing going on, and that is what must I do to inherit eternal life for a Jewish person. It wasn't like the moderns, like we think about it. Uh, when I die, will I go to heaven? It was, it was an understanding that what is it going to look like uh, when that day comes, when the Lord sets everything right, um, and it and it's this idea of of the reality of all of God's purposes beginning to manifest in the life of the Jewish people. That really was their hope, and so he's talking about something I think is best described by by Rabbi Hillel, who is a rabbi teaching in an overlapping way at about the same time as Jesus and prior to, but his teachings were very popular, so much so that it was like, I don't know, Charles Stanley, Billy Graham, everybody kind of knew that when Hillel said something, people put stuff down and they listened. So Rabbi Hillel said, who has gained for himself words of the torah has gained for himself the life of the world to come and it's the 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 idea of eternal life for a jewish person meant the world to come it was an expectation that evil would be broken down our life our heart our minds would be aligned with the life and heart and mind of god But from Jesus' point of view, it isn't a whole lot different than somebody's wife leaving home and then coming back and it's chaotic, as opposed to somebody's wife leaving home, coming back and finding out the minions that she's been trying to whip into shape for so long have finally clued in. The good news is, God doesn't see us as just merely minions but rather as people made in his image and in his likeness. And he hopes that one day by our own willingness that we will lock into what is important to him and what he values. And that thing that he really values is coming up in the story, by the way. So as, a, as we kind of get this sense, a teacher, a lawyer, was typically a well-respected person in Jewish society like Hillel. And in the case of the lawyer coming up to Jesus, um, he stood up, which is a gesture of respect, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer actually, in his own right, was supposed to be um, uh, honored in Jewish society as well. And Jesus responds with this notion as Luke writes about it, of the experts in the law. And every time Luke mentions it, it's negative. Um, Other gospels talk about uh, the experts in the law, and it's a mixed bag. But Luke is, every time you see it, and it's shown up in these verses, it's always bad. And so when he says teacher, um, it's, it's a negative connotation as well. And this is one of the things about going through the whole book of Luke. Luke has a filter, and that filter says every time I talk about the experts in the law or the teacher, there's something negative in the air. And this is, this is exactly one of those situations. So in, the, in this back story, um, there, there, there was this expectation that God's going to make everything right, that people respected teachers— But as Jesus came upon the scene and redefines what that way of life is supposed to be, the teachers as they were teaching are the villains. So you with me? Um, Here's another comment on on Luke uh, as it unfolds later on, because in verses um, 29 and 30, uh, it says that he said these things to justify himself. So he is not only asking a question, what must I do? But then he's also saying stuff, how can I justify myself? Now, in that, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was the right way. Everybody agreed that that was how we had to align ourselves. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And this comes up a little bit later on. When Jesus asks these guys, he just calls them out and he says, John's baptism, was this from God or was this from men? And they couldn't deny that it was from God, but they didn't get baptized. So they're making a defiant statement that Jesus, we are not in agreement with the way of life that you're prescribing through your kingdom message. And Jesus is going to call him out. but So there's a drama brewing here that has a lot to do with them, but it has a lot to do with you and I. So let's move on. In Luke 10, chapter, verse 26, it says, um, the response is, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the response back um, for just a second is uh, based on that word, do. And when the fairest when the expert in the law said, "What can I do to inherit eternal life?" It's what is the least minimal requirement to get saved, to be a part of that new way of life that is the kingdom. What's the bare minimum? And the reason I say that is because uh, Amy Jill Levine mentions once again, the verb that's used, "What must I do?" is a is a is a one point in time verb, what is this action that I have to do that will, that will fulfill the requirements? What's the bare minimum? Now, I just want to stop there for a second because a lot of times when people start to tune in to Jesus, and they recognize that I need him as my savior because I, I, maybe I don't want to go to hell, which is a, a very good aspiration to avoid, Or maybe it's, I want a better way of life. Or maybe I just want to avoid the consequences of standing before God and having to give an account. And a lot of people want to come into the church and the kingdom based on the bare minimal entry requirements. And their hope is, I can just get saved and then I don't have to do any more. And sometimes it's preached like that, that that's all you need to do is get saved. Now, I'm not saying that when we take our heart and our mind and we surrender it to Jesus and we repent of a way of life and we say, I want to make you my Lord, there is a transaction that happens where we are carried into the kingdom. But after we are there, Jesus says, we have work to do. And one of them is, well, it's that kind of thinking. What minimal thing can I do as a believer to keep God off my back? What minimal thing can I do as a believer to essentially stay saved, if, if that's kind of how you look at it? Whatever your question is, the bottom line is, it's the wrong question. It is the wrong question. And Jesus teases this out a little bit. Because um, as, she, as she goes on to comment, she says, The lawyer got the right answer, good for him. However, he did not quite get the right question. So Jesus changes it for him. Whereas the lawyer asked, what can I do to get eternal life? Jesus reframes what is at stake by saying, "Um, uh, um, do this and you will live the imperative do focuses not on a single action but on an ongoing relationship. So there's what's hidden in the the grammar. I know it's kind of nerding out for you on Labor Day and you're not supposed to work that hard anyway on Labor Day, but I'm making you work a little bit. Because when Jesus says do, he doesn't say it like the Pharisees did or the the expert in law did, like one-time thing. Jesus says this is an ongoing response. And it has in the backdrop what we find in, in the continuation of, of, of the dialogue between the two. Okay, so here he is in verse 27. He answered, well, this is this is what the word says. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So in the Old Testament, it essentially was Stated, if you really want to summarize everything that life is about regarding our walk with God and our way of life, if we could really understand the, the the layers of meaning behind these two phrases, love God and love your neighbor. In Deuteronomy six five, it says we should we should love the Lord our God with all our heart. In Leviticus nineteen eighteen, it says we need to love our neighbor. And this is where it begins to sort of uh, Uh, show a, a parting of the ways in the definition of the neighbor. So essentially, we love God and we love our neighbor. And in the Jewish mind, it was actually taught. The way that you love God is reflected in the way you love your neighbor. People like Hillel would say all the Torah and the prophets hang on those two commandments; that the two are equal. How you look at your neighbor is, in a lot of ways, how you look at God. Can you believe that? That love that you have for God is reflected in the attitude that you have towards your neighbor. And in the teachings, there's no distinguishing the two. They're just, if you have a next door neighbor that's hard to love, um, then then your response to that neighbor from God's point of view is essentially, if you don't love him, then you don't really love me. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And as this is unfolding, in Luke 10, verse 28, it says, you have answered correctly. And Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is the bad question. The best way that I can illustrate it is this. I'm kind of ashamed to mention this, but I, but I will. I remember asking a policeman one time, how fast can I go over the limit without getting a ticket? I know, you're thinking, I can't believe you asked that. But I thought, well, you know, maybe they'll tell me, maybe they won't. And some of you are like, he should never have done that. But my question for you is, Have you ever thought that when you're going over the speed limit? How fast can I go? Well, there is an answer I've heard, but the response of the police officer was the correct response. And that is essentially, the speed limit is put there for a reason. Obey the speed limit. (laughs) He didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, this is an insider, insider thing. No, he just said, this is how you do it. And the kind of question that was being asked here was, what can I do bare minimally to participate in eternal life, participate in the way of the kingdom of God? What can I do bare minimally? What, what's, what's the minimal commitment that I have to make to the Lord in order to be in And I think if you're asking that yourself that one question, that's one thing. But if you're asking the Lord, what's the minimal commitment, he's going to tell you, what does the word say? That's what you do. So that's what's going on here. Is one person is trying to kind of game the system a little bit. And another person is trying to hold true to the values that from the get-go have come out of his mouth to define how it is that you and I are to live in harmony with God and in harmony with one another. This guy's not really interested in that. His question has more to do with his own framing of his religion, religious understanding than God's. And my question for you as you come in, as you relate to God and we relate to one another how much of it is us just trying to do it our way versus us listening to what God says we need to do as we follow him and bringing our lives into conformity with that? Wouldn't it be awesome if when Jesus came back, he saw us as a people loving God with all of our heart And we know that that's happening because it's reflected in how we are loving our neighbors ourselves. The response and the attitude and the posture towards one or the other is no different. Because Jesus, the scripture tells us in John, came into this world as a result of God's great love for the world. And Jesus looked at people, every one of us, and every one of them, with one question. Where are they at in their relationship with God and with each other? And in some cases, they were broken, and they needed healing to get into that space. In other cases, they needed to be gently nudged where they needed to go in their thinking and in other cases he called them out and he said you've completely distorted what it means to love God and this comes out boldly in the text as Luke tells it that they're just looking for the bare minimal requirements bringing their own questions and sizing Jesus up based on their own understanding of how they think religion should play out in this world And we always have to be careful that we don't take our own ideas and just say, okay, I've kind of got it worked out how I think Christianity should go. Your life and mine constantly needs to be recalibrated to tuning into God's word and then asking in a fresh way the question, God, what would you have me do under these conditions? Not what I would do, not what I feel like doing, not what I wanna do, what would you have me do? And his word stands over us in that way and speaks to us and says, this is what you should do. You know, after the kids spent all day cleaning and getting the house prepped and, you know, me supervising and stuff like that, it was nice to just go to bed with a very clean house, you know, because wife's been gone for two days, so you can imagine what happened. But it was so nice to have everything just in order. dishes put away, stovetop cleaned off, the laundry done, the floors clean. I even changed you know the the, the, the linens on the bed, I mean. That's probably a first for me. Uh, Because had I been a bachelor, I don't know, I'd probably still be sleeping on the same bed in the same, you know, gross, I know. But that kind of civilizing influence obviously happened through her presence in our lives. And God is essentially, in effect, trying to re-civilize us. And sometimes our notions are a little bit misguided, and his certainly were. And maybe for each of us, the question shouldn't be, what is the bare minimal requirement? But rather, the question is, every week as we gather, what is does what is God, God, what, what, do you, what would you have me do? Show me. And that's what I love about what's coming up next week in this text. Because we're going to talk a lot about at the ground level, in Salem, Ohio, what this passage has to say for us. But I just wanted to clarify that this is really about God's agenda and not any any one of us. It's a bad question. And in his case, it's a trick question because he's kind of being the trickster. He's being devilish here. And it's, it's the wrong question. It is a question, let's go to the, to the next slide, because it is a question that um, uh, we can't ask. God, tell me the bare minimal requirements so I can just skate in. You know, finally, it is a question that we have to learn to reframe ourselves. So moving into the, the next two slides. Um, We'll end here. How many of us are asking these same kinds of questions to God about anything we do relative to First Christian Church? And if we're going to move forward as a church, we have to work on this, all of us, myself included. Where the questions that God brings to bear upon the life of this church have to become our questions. And this parable is going to unfold a big answer to some of God's biggest questions. And so I just want to end it with this last thought on, on the screen it's not about the bare minimum but it is about who you are becoming. And I like to think when my wife comes home, hey, you know, we've all struggled with this routine of bringing things into order, but all of a sudden, hey, we've grown. Now, if we expect some kind of commentation, trophy, prize, ribbon, my wife is probably not going to offer that. And I'm okay with that. But if she comes in and she has a sense of joy on her face, that I don't have to wrestle with that stuff anymore, then I think that's a win. And I would love for God to look at First Christian and say, I have joy on my face when I see the things that they are able to do for the people around them, because they are no longer asking their own questions but they're asking my questions. And one of Jesus' biggest personal questions is, have you discovered him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you heard his words enough that you've come to the conclusion that he's God's guy, he is the Savior, he is the Lord, and he is worthy because he has come into this world To take broken and wrecked lives and reclaim them through a bloodstained cross, and in the process directing us through forgiveness and through reconciliation with God to becoming new people that emerge out of that empty tomb alongside Him. And we do that through the ritual of baptism. We die, we are buried. And we are raised with him. The writer of uh, the book of Romans says in chapter 6. And my hope is, as we ask the question, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? That you can say, I do. And if you respond to that by saying, not yet. I can assure you, God wants you come to the place where your response is yes and I want to help you with that alongside our elders, our staff and anyone here that is in tune with that aspect of our mission we would love to see you come to that awareness of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be redirected to a path that is aligned with his would you come as we pray Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that as we have taken the substance of what this dialogue has, hap- has, has occurred and what it means, Lord, I pray that if there are places that you need to convict us, where our questions are more our own and our agendas are more our own, that you would reframe that around how can I love you, Lord, with all my heart and all my soul, and all my mind, and put you first? How can I, Lord, love my neighbor as myself in the kind of love that's reflected in my love for you? Lord, just challenge us in that way. And if there's anyone here that needs to open their heart to you, I pray that they would. And if there are others here who need to find next steps into serving, please just nudge us accordingly. And I thank you, Father, for the attention of everyone here, and our time together in Your Word. And I pray that it would be fruitful as um, as as we bring it to bear upon our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Would you like a moment to open your communion cups. Um, listening today um, there was someone who asked a question and a digging deeper and I didn't have the answer till the next day um, and I remember just just hearing this sermon I remembered that from five weeks ago maybe I don't know and I wrote this uh, justification and sanctification justification is the moment you're saved sanctification is the process that happens onward from that moment so before you progress in something, you have to become that thing. Um, many have come to church and they do the works of sanctification, but maybe have never tasted of the first step—that justification. Um, you have to become that thing to progress in that thing, and. The book of Titus puts it this way. Paul, writing to Titus, he says he reminds Titus of the gospel. He says, uh, "Being justified by His Jesus grace, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life." That justification has to happen first, and so on the this is where we bring our communion. Um, to the cross where we focus here, because this is the place where Jesus died to make that justification possible and a reality for those who by faith would reach out to him. Um, Because look what he said today. You shall love the Lord your God. This is out of Deuteronomy 6, 5. If you were a faithful Jew back in the day, you would repeat this twice a day. And he knew to repeat it here before Jesus. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He hooks on a piece from Leviticus there. Um, he said, yes, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The problem is, Jesus knows this man, nor any, anyone else, has not for a moment loved Jesus with a total person. That's the bad news. But the good news is, not for a single moment, a single lapse of time, did Jesus not love God with his totality. That's why he's Savior. And that's why he's the perfection on our behalf that God looks on to pass us through. That's the gospel. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have done all that's necessary because your father was pleased with you, our adoptive father who is yours, will be pleased with us in you. Help us to reach out to you by faith using whatever words we have. Maybe we can't articulate it. That's okay. May you help us. May you bring us to that place where we see you after seeing ourselves. And when we're struck, might you extend that saving mercy to us that we don't want to believe we need because we believe we're good. But you are righteous and good on our behalf. Thank you that you have come to save us, rescue us, redeem us, restore us, ransom us, and reunite us with God. May you do your work in this moment as we pray and spend our time before your cross, knowing that that's the place where you paid our bill, so that we might come out through the other side of it, resurrected into new life, with sanctification beginning forever. On to glorification, where we spend forever with you. Thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. you're ready. It's there,
0: in the it's there in the light of every sunrise, there in the shadows of this life, your great there on the mountain top, there in the everyday and the mundane, it's there in the sorrow and the dancing, your great grace, oh such grace. to the cross There from the cross into eternity Your grace finds me Yes, Your grace finds me It's there on the way Die. There toss into Yes, the saints and for the sinner, enough for this whole have world. I'm breathing in your grace forever out I'm breathing in your grace and breathing out your grace and breathing in your grace forever out.
1: the same grace that finds us, may it find us today, find us savingly, find us mercifully and grant mercy through that grace. Grace is that which we don't deserve, which we receive. Mercy is that which we don't, which we do deserve. But don't receive because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our place and received what we deserve so that we could receive what you deserve It's for your wonderful name we pray, giving you all thanks and all glory and all praise. May these be blessed today in the hearing of your word. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon.